Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello and welcome to Better at Work. On this episode, I'm joined for the first time by two guests. So this is a new one for me, normally one guest, one-on-one, but today it's two. But I'm delighted to welcome Lawrence Goldstone and Caitlin Guilfoyle. Now, Lawrence is a partner at PwC Australia, leads the firm's future of work agenda, passionate about distributive models of change and bringing new perspectives to executives and boards. Lawrence brings 25 years local and international experience. He's also chair of the board at Oz Harvest, Australia's largest food rescue organization, and sits on the board for Purpose Co., as well as advising lots of startups Caitlin Guilfoyle is a workforce transformation specialist with over 15 years experience in Australia and globally in roles within public and private enterprise, a leader within PwC's future of work practice. Caitlin researches global market trends as they relate to people and organizations and supports clients across all industries to help them prepare for their future of work now. Lawrence and Caitlin, welcome to Better at Work. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you. Now, the reason I actually invited you both on was one of the things we found in season one of our podcast, Better at Work, lots of people asking us about hybrid work. How do I get ready for the future of work? And I just felt it was great to get you guys on. So today I'm hoping the listeners will get some of the great insights that I've seen you guys put out there. But I'd like to start every episode off to get us relaxed into it. Where did this all start for you? Let's start with you, Lawrence. Why did you become so interested in the future of work or what you do? What drove your passion? What kind of a kid were you that made you so interested in world of work? Oh my God, what a what a <laughs> what a setup of a series of questions. So as you can tell from the accent, so I'm English. Uh, I've been in Australia for close to 20 years now. As a kid, I was very independent. I was given the ability to be an independent thinker and to I got the opportunity to, you know, have lots of different experiences. And growing up in the northwest of England in Liverpool, for those of you know, that would make me a scouser without the accent. <laughs> yeah, you um, don't have the scouser accent. Certainly don't. I've worked, I've worked hard on that one <laughs> over the years. But I've always been interested in people. I've kind of got an entrepreneurial spirit. I really like pushing the boundaries of different things. And so I, I would say curiosity has been a, a, at the forefront of who I am in, mm-hmm. in work, which gets me interested in lots of different things. And I'd say I probably had lots of different careers. And um, I came out to Australia to help build uh, a strategy consulting practice for a large uh, big four, span off to create my own business. We sold that back into a big four, into PwC back in 2010. That business was called The Difference. And I've always spent my career working around uh, people 
and unleashing the potential within organizations to unleash the talent and the thinking that naturally exists within an organization. If you can get the right people together with a different process, with new thinking, with the time to make decisions, that sounds deceptively simple, but in large organizations that is incredibly challenging and difficult, you can achieve amazing results. And so that's what I've really spent my career doing and, and realizing that there are only so many versions and stories in the world and you get to pull on all the different talent to bring insights and thinking from those different stories um, to new companies and organizations and challenges. And so that sort of filled my curiosity and the opportunity to work across a broad spectrum of different industries and people. And yeah, I still consider myself to be creative, entrepreneurial, and um, I've got very different uh, views on what future work is or modern mm -hmm. work, as I mm -hmm. probably prefer to call it now. Future work sounds very grandiose and sort of yeah. almost amorphously into the future, whereas I think what we're talking about really is modern work. Yeah, that's a great today. point. Yeah. I love that about uh, being entrepreneurial. I think it's fantastic to have people with entrepreneurial skills in inside a big company. And uh, we'll have to touch on that because in a, in a big company like PwC, I'm sure those skills are well leveraged. Caitlin, what about you? What drove your passion for this modern work or <laughs> HR or, or, or your passion for this space? Yeah, well, I think similar to Lawrence, we've ended up at a similar place, but we've got there very differently. So it's all around centering my career on people and people in workplaces and being able to leverage everything to the best of their abilities. I never knew that I wanted to do this <laughs> when I was little as well. <laughs> and even probably when I was in my early 20s, I mean, I did a lot of different things and I had a lot of different careers to get me to this point, but largely they've all been centered around people mm -hmm. apart from a brief stint as a snowboard instructor when I was living in Canada. But oh, wow. It, it <laughs> it all adds to, you know, the, the life tapestry, but I tended to find myself gravitating towards roles that had a strong centre on, you know, relationships and understanding how we could bring the best out of people and how organisations can really tap into that at a yeah. greater level and how people aren't just seen as a resource line on a cost balance sheet, how you can really look towards leveraging that more and, and bringing out the best in everyone in your entire work. Force. And I think an extension to that is really thinking about how can we think about not only the people that we have now, but how can we drive our organizations into the future yeah. using the power of people? And how can we think much more strategically about that? Which again sounds really easy on paper, but is exceptionally <laughs> difficult to do, particularly when you're faced with things like, you know, these global challenges mm -hmm. and things like pandemics that completely can disrupt your plans in organizations. Absolutely. And even on that, you know, the cost of living crisis, it mm -hmm. can really impact those people coming into the office every day. You don't know the stresses and strain they're under. So it's an absolutely fascinating space. Very similar to you, Caitlin. I fell into the whole space because I found out, well, actually Goldman Sachs found out I was good with people and <laughs> motivating them. So it sounds very similar. I, I wasn't uh, one of those kids was like, I really know I'm going to be a good leader of people and transforming companies. So it sounds like we're all very similar there, except the only thing we're not good at, I'm not good at hiding my accent, but Lawrence obviously <laughs> is, because that Liverpool accent is I'll very you, hard. I'll give you some tips. Yeah, he'll have to give me some tips. <laughs> now, I love that you mentioned modern work and because, you know, future of work, it's interesting. I'm keen to know what it means to you. 
What do you think of future work? Do you go with Lawrence's modern work? What, what are your thoughts? I do. I think, you know, and we started out our team, our function in, in the firm as future of work. And we like to keep an eye on, you know, what are those big global mega trends mm. that are important to keep an eye on and how do they influence organizations and people. But really the reality is that we're talking about things that influence the changes in work that people are experiencing day to day. And that's why we like to refer to as modern work. In the last two and a half years, we've seen the biggest change to modern work that we've ever seen before, regardless of the industry or the role that you're in or the organisation that you're in. And we like to understand what that practically means for people and how yes. organisations need to think about that. So we're not talking about huge technological disruption and things that are going to happen five, ten years down the track right now. We're talking about the everyday. Yes, love and that. This, this real yeah. drive to help organisations understand what modern work looks like. How has it changed? What does that mean for you? And what does it mean for your people at a really practical level? Lawrence, what about yourself? How would you see it similar to Caitlin? Yeah, very much. And we, we've done obviously a lot of thinking in this, right? Yeah. So um, we have a position because we sit within a large multinational organisation, you know, with a couple of hundred thousand people globally and 10,000 people locally. So we come at this from... Um, having a position to be able to support and enable our clients to think differently about this topic and to think differently ourselves about it as an organization, which has, you know, a large workforce as well. In defining it, so I'll give you the formal definition of it from our side, because we kind of created a framework because that was one of the questions we got a lot, yeah. which was, what is it? How do you define it? What does it mean? And it means an awful lot, right? Um, there are four elements to our framework. So the type of work we do, uh, the type of workers we need to do that work, where and how those people access work. So workplaces, spaces, and that's probably seen the biggest shift yeah. um, across the last sort of period. And then probably, and, and sometimes forgotten about, but the experience of work that binds all of that together. So it's kind of the mix of those sort of four quadrants, which allow us to then break down what we mean within each of those. Now that are all interdependent and that's giving you a formal kind of like language. Yes, yeah. But when we talk about the future work, you know, it used to be very much focused into robots and mm -hmm. automation and, and that's still there. The, yeah. None of that has gone away, but that's back to the type of work that we do, the type of people that we need mm -hmm. to do work and skilling and upskilling has become a really big thing as has hybrid, mm -hmm. right? This whole conversation around where I work, how I work, and that experience of how I bring myself to work has become the very much the now. The only other thing I would stress, and it's something that we should talk about today, is that we like to think about horizons yes. within this yes. because we can get yeah. grounded in the today of work, literally in the what do I need to do now? Whereas I think it's important to think about modern work, the future work, this whole topic through a number of different scenarios or horizons, right? Optimizing the day-to-day, -day, the right now, because conditions have changed. So what do I have to do here and now? Redefining work. So resetting some of those into the next period. But I think the really exciting element that we've got right in front of us um, is the reimagination yes. of work, yes. right? And what that looks like. Now that takes some bolder thinking, but that's not where we're going to start when we're looking at the, what do we need to do today? But I think you have to think across all three of those different I, I love that. I love that. And I work a lot with consultants over the years and I love a framework. I'm obsessed Who with doesn't? Work. <laughs> we love a framework. I love a framework. <laughs> Darcy's uh, learned, my producers learned lots of new frameworks over the time of listening to me on this. Uh, now, next, later, fix, improve, transform. I have them all, but I now love. Now you've got horizons. And now I've got horizons, but yeah. I actually have heard you talk about 
Weather Horizons on, I think it was on a YouTube video, uh, Lawrence, and I thought it was a really great way of of positioning it as well. It's interesting because um, I don't have this in my questions, but you know, I think sometimes with modern work or future work, one thing you often have to consider I've seen this when I've gone in to solve problems in companies is uh, where that company itself is at. Sometimes they can't get their head above the day-to-day or the stress or the fine they've gotten from a regulator to kind of think about that. And actually then while they're not pulling their head above it, um, they're losing great people. But we, we may get to that, but that's something that um, I've certainly seen in, in, in my career where you know the HR team really want to be thinking about the future work, but the leaders are too snowed under with the day-to-day and being a leader today, well, it is very different, very different, really a difficult job, right? You're trying to balance so much, you know, even thinking about the future work, well-being, purpose, all of this is just mm. such a new challenges for leaders, which I don't think we've cracked at no, all. Go ahead, Caitlin. I don't yeah. think we have. It is one of the key things to make or break surviving in this reality at a couple of different levels. So leadership to really guide organisations in a time of uncertainty um, and a time when, you know, we want growth, we want to be innovative, we want to do things differently. There's a really strong competitive landscape. So we need that type of leadership. And then we need leadership throughout the organisation, the really very, very practical leaders to help people through this time and help them navigate this landscape. And that's different as well. So we're talking about, and these are things that people haven't you know, being skilled to do. No, absolutely not. We're asking managers to delve into areas that they've never had to before. How do you navigate the mental health and well-being challenges that we have today, as as well as all of the other, the things, other things that you've got going on? Discrimination, Me Too. There's just so many things that I think as a leader now, you've just, yes. it's a minefield. And I see some leaders just afraid to touch it at yes. all. And then that's an even worse place to be because you've put your head in the sand. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of, in my career, I've built lots of leadership programs. And I look back at them now and I go, this needs a total rehash now because of where we're at. But I think leadership is so critical because that's what you experience in your day to day. You know, I've worked in companies where the CEO, I've, I love them. I think they're amazing. But if my direct leader is an asshole and is not really working well with me or stifles my entrepreneurial spirit, then I'm like, I don't want to be here. I have a question about leadership because I've heard you talk about it before, Caitlin. You made some great points, which really resonated with me. So we'll get to that as well. But today I thought we'd touch on three areas. Again, love a three, a framework, whatever you want to call it. But our listeners, I think they want to know three things. What can I do to get ready for the future or the now? What can companies do to get ready? And where will I be working from in the future, home or an office or what the hell is going to happen? So why don't we start with the individuals? I always like to put the people first. And I know, Caitlin, you do a lot on workforce transfer. How do you think as individuals, whether I'm in my office today or working in a local shop or wherever you are, what do you need to do to prepare for the future of work? We think about careers today in a very different way than we used to think about careers. We used to think about careers in a really linear fashion where you would work up a ladder, regardless of the organisation, the career you took, there was always a ladder and you followed the path and it was very streamlined. Now we're in a completely different landscape where we we know that younger generations will have up to 17 different jobs across five different completely separate careers in their lifetime and careers are 
are boundaryless. Yeah. So they you can create your own career ladder, which is exciting because it means that you're not stuck with one thing for life, whether you like it or not. It means that there's a world of possibility out there and that as the world around us changes, we can adapt to that and change ourselves as well as we evolve as humans. How good is Caitlin, by the way, listeners? She starts with the real positive. This is good. Yeah. So <laughs> no, but it there's is a, a positive story. Yes, it's such a positive story, particularly at the moment where the jobs landscape, we're really in an employee's market. Yes. So if you're looking for a job, then you're already at the, the front of the line to be able to, to decide what you're looking for. It's a really great landscape for that. And then with people's careers, they can choose different things. The more challenging thing or the p- thing that people need to lean into is making sure that their skills are fresh. Upskilling is, a, is again, one of those things that sounds easy, but it's a sticky, sticky problem for organisations and for people because skills have a half-life, so they expire. So we as individuals need to make sure that we are upskilling ourselves as well as the development that we get from our organisations or our businesses, that we're taking an investment in our own development and our own careers so that we're prepared for the future. And if we're sticking with the one career or we're changing, we're always looking to how we can develop as individuals from a technical standpoint, but probably more importantly, from that soft skills (laughs) perspective. I couldn't agree more. I think um, the soft skills are the hard things to do. To be able to, you made a great point, Lawrence, you can work in a big company, have all these great people, but sometimes to actually make change happen is difficult. So I often say to people, hey, you know what? Do a course in behavioral science. It's really helpful. (laughs) It gives you some great insights. So I, I love what you're saying there because I do think sometimes some people think someone's coming on a white horse in a company to upskill them. I think you need to look at what you need yourself and also maybe a little bit of what's your passion. If you told me, Carl, go and upskill yourself in Excel, I'd be like, (laughs) good night, sweetheart. I'm out of here. (laughs) I can't do that. But I think if you can find the passion that where you light up, then upskilling yourself as well is just a win-win. Yes. And I do think that's where the opportunity exists, right? And not just waiting for it to happen to you, mm. but that curiosity and the building of those skills. And uh, as Kevin said, and you just referred to them as soft skills, nothing soft about them, no. right? So I don't mean to pick on that, but it is no, a language no, that agree. we've defaulted yeah. to. Um, those core skills or those enabling skills are often the hardest to be able to build through. But if you look at reports like the World Economic Forum Future Skills Report, Eight out of the 10 skills of the future are those human skills around resilience and creativity and problem solving and analytical thinking and critical development. There's a couple that we can always advance around our technical capabilities. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, a lot of organizations have indexed or over-indexed on the technical skills to do the jobs of now or what I need people to do. And that's okay because there are roles that need to be performed and there are functions that need to be met. Those human skills, those innate skills, those skills that will actually set us up for the future and allow us to thrive in uncertainty, with ambiguity, in a changing environment, with the flexibility and the challenge to meet the sort of modern work, they're the ones that are going to set us up and allow us to be differentiated. And they're the ones that we can develop ourselves as well as wait for them to be developed around us. Absolutely. Uh, You guys have hit on so many great points there. I think skills like communication, being able to communicate your message 
being able to influence without authority. These are all such important skills that I've seen over 20 years. Like it's not just even now. I've seen 20 years ago, if you had those skills, you could progress. I progressed to Goldman Sachs because I had an Irish accent. I had a little bit of humor. Actually, humor helps you a lot. It's a skill. It's an equalizer. It's an equalizer. Mm. People go, okay, he's not here to threaten me with Mm. this change, you know, bring everyone on the journey. Being able to, I think, um, be in other people's shoes sometimes as well, not being arrogant. These are all things that I think people can learn, as as you both said. So thank you. That was that's fantastic. What about organizations? Lawrence, you know, you work with lots of organizations, NGOs, startups. What uh, do you think organizations and pick any ones you want, like any industries you like or go general? What do you think they need to be doing for the modern now? So I think there's two things that organizations could and should be doing. One is engaging widely and broadly and asking the questions with a preparedness to listen. Asking and then doing nothing with the outcomes is futile. And in fact, it's it's damaging and it breaks trust and it actually wastes all the intellectual capital and the time to be able to extract. The people in your organizations will tell you loud and clear. And I reckon anybody in HR roles will say, I've been saying this for years, Mm -hmm. but no one's listening to me. It's time to listen. It's time to listen and it's time to act. And that act doesn't have to be big, bold statements of huge systemic change. They can be experiments and pilots to try and do things differently. That's the first thing kind of links into the second, which is just do some stuff, experiment and pilot. If ever we were in a moment where we've been given permission to try and do things differently, you don't need to change to tap into the hybrid element, your entire 18 floors or 12 floors or where I work, you know, completely across the whole organization and create an entire new framework with policies and regulations and everything that's really complex than just trying to do some things differently and see what works. Mm -hmm. So if anything, next year, the next 12 months should be the year of the experiment. Let's give it a real opportunity to try and bring different thinking that plays across those horizons. Some of it might be in the, let's just optimize and do things differently, but some might give permission to go, if we were to reimagine doing this, if we were to reimagine work today, would we really create the same structure and mm-hmm. efficacy and, and people and roles as we have today? Probably not. So play into that. And so I think they're the things that we can do is think broadly, ask the questions, and then start to implement Um, but they don't all have to be the biggest programs. I I think that's great advice. Listen is such an important thing and try. They're they're the two things I'm taking from this. And trust, I think, you know, you you hit on a great point there because I've seen that in big organizations where if people do give their ideas and then nothing happens with them, they lose all trust. You know, I love that phrase, trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets. It is lost in buckets when you ask people for their feedback on how to make something different, etc. I've even seen this in the innovation space at one company I worked at. You know, they had a, a way of gathering ideas on how to make the customer experience better, how to make our process better. And honestly, I took over this and there was like 40,000 ideas in this Excel spreadsheet. And I mean, you know, they'd never been done, at, nothing done with them. And I would go out to the contact centers and they'd go, oh, well, there's no point in putting an idea in that. You know, that's never going going to come out, nothing will become of it, which is so sad, you know, so similar to what you said there, Lawrence, I love that. So organizations think about listening and trying, experimenting. I think that's fantastic because you can get a little case study example in one area that then you can show to others to go, here's something you could be doing. Caitlin, anything to add? Because you're out there every day as well. So what what are you telling organizations they should be doing? Similar to Lawrence? Yeah, I think uh, Lawrence has really nailed it there. And it can be 
tiny things. So, you know, one example is I talked to an organization who likes to do these experiments and every month they do a new one. And they see how it goes and then they report to the other teams how it went. So, one month they might do no meeting Fridays yeah. or, you know, they might trial something and it's it's tiny. Yeah. This is the other thing is is that when we, we think about big ideas, a lot of the time they can cost lots of money, but Absolutely. there's so many ideas that don't cost any money, Agreed. particularly at a time when organisations might be tightening the purse strings. So, that's the thing is think about all of the possibilities of the tiny things that you can do and that your people can do, you know, to get the leaders to take a back seat yes. and get your people to to come up with some ideas that they are willing to run and trial, you know, um, and, and use those informal leaders in your organisations to run these things as well. Get feedback, iterate and tell people how it went, even if it fails. And I think on that trust issue, sometimes you build trust through that authenticity of saying, Absolutely. you know what, we've tried this and it didn't work because of these reasons. So, when we try it again or we do something differently, here are the things that will change. Absolutely. And we're really transparent about that. And that's the thing that people care about the moment is transparency because trust is at an all-time low in, and globally it's at an all-time low in government and in institutions and in organizations. It is low. So, how can you start to build trust through that type of transparency, even at a local level? Can I pick on that? Because it's kind of interesting for the times that we find ourselves in because trust actually spiked and went really high through the early stages of the pandemic, right? Mm, so yeah. in any crisis environment, we needed our institutions to tell us what to do. That command control, that element, trust in government, trust in business, trust in institutions actually went through the roof. To the point that I think you're making there, Kay, which is we're in a different time now. Yeah. So holding on to those same paradigms actually don't exist. And the pendulum well and truly swung over the last mm -hmm. couple of years and has changed expectations. Yet have we changed the lens of leadership, management, communications and style that we're in? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe we were quite comfortable with that wartime scenario where we found ourselves. And to the point earlier around leadership, we're in a different phase now. So we need to adapt to that. And these experiment and the small micro steps, it's like building, a, well, it is building a muscle. It's building yeah. an intellectual and corporate muscle. And it takes practice and not everyone is good at it. And when we say things like be prepared to fail, I think in the big world, corporate world especially, <laughs> failure is like oh, this thing that we avoid, yes. like the plague. <laughs> and it's like, fail fast, fail often. We say it yes. and we go, you know, fail never, yes. tell no one, you no, know, yes, succeed exactly. only, positivity. And it's like, hang on, how would you ever experiment and take risk if you're not prepared to fail? Now, that's really easy to say it's hard to do. So it's putting yes. the context around the experiment. This is an experiment. It may succeed, it may not. We're going to give it 30 days. If it sticks, we'll give Give it another 30. If it works after that, we'll blow it. We'll expand it and rotate. Yeah, if agree. it doesn't, we'll stop. It's a bit like, I mean, this may be too strong of a word for it, but people need psychological safety within an organization, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> because I have worked in some organizations where you just feel so covered by the senior leadership and, you know, I'm in the senior leadership role, but I still want to feel like, yes. you know, the people above me are going to cover me if something comes out where, because I'm quite entrepreneurial in companies. So I'm yep. doing things that they go, you know what, I'm just telling you, they want to see some result from that. And you're like, okay, it's going to take another while. But if you've got that cover and psychological safety, I think it, it, it just helps so much. And I've talked about this a lot on, on my podcast. The other thing I think, Caitlin, you nailed it there with what you said. So much you can do for free. 
I have seen that for years. Honestly, even, and I will say it, Westpac, I was able to do a lot of things for free and I loved Westpac. It was great. We got lots of things done for free, but it was actually giving people the confidence to go, hey, we can do this. We don't need to get a mandate or an approval on this kind of stuff. This is kind of stuff you can do yourself, right? I loved your points there. Meeting Free Friday. These are kind of things that are so easy, but there's other things you can do for free. Set up a meeting with all the teams that are causing you problems in a process and go, let's just nail what are the top five problems we've got and let's just work through them over the course of two months. It doesn't cost anything. Yes, you might need a 20 million to fix one big thing. I would hazard a guess about four or five of them you'll be able to do for free. So I loved your point there. The other little one that I quite like as well is because, and I don't want to delve too deep into this area. I know we've got a lot to talk about, but um, what we can find sometimes in this environment is that teams can become quite siloed in a a hybrid environment, in a virtual environment. So one of the little things that I like is inviting people from different teams to your Mm -hmm. team meetings or stand-ups. You know, a team that you might work with occasionally or you might interact with or you might have a process interaction with or whatever. Can you on a monthly basis? Can you invite those people to your team meeting? Can you go to their team meeting and can you start to think intentionally about how do we make sure that we aren't creating those silos if we are working in this environment? I love that. Again, free. I've I've used that myself. I think it's such an easy thing to do and, you know, you learn a lot and you're actually able to put yourself in the shoes of someone else in the process, right? Hybrid work, our third big one. I have had so many questions on hybrid and so many people moaning to me about it. We've been told we have to come back into the office every day. I've had people say in banks, I have to come in on a Tuesday. I've, we've heard twats. What's the twats? Um, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> we've heard it all. So um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, I was going to say, what are your thoughts on twats? What are (laughs) hybrid working? Tell us, what advice are you giving companies in this particular space? Let's go to the things that we know and the listen, right? Mm -hmm. 74% of Australians telling their organizations and saying that they want to work flexibly. 10% of people want to return to the office five days a week. It's loud and clear Mm -hmm. as to the fact that people want choice. And a word that Caitlin used before um, around intentionality. So I'm going to come back to intentionality. But for me, hybrid is just the choice and providing the choice for people to be able to own and feel comfortable and have the enablement to be able to work where, when, and how they want to be measured on outcome rather than bums on seat in a particular time and space that might work for others. The intentionality element of that is finding the places and times that we intentionally want to do work together, intentionally want to allow ourselves to work individually, and intentionally want quiet time or Mm -hmm. collaborative time. We're social animals, so trying to put us only into one box or another, for me, is the futility of this conversation. It's probably the most frustrating part of this conversation. My advice to organizations in the, you know, how many days is the right amount of days to be in the office? I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea. It depends on what work you need to do. Because for me, I can't choose my week in the way that I want. It depends on what meeting I've got. It depends on what work I need to do. It depends on what I need to achieve. It depends on um, the intentionality of what I'm trying to achieve at my team level and what's right for my organization, my clients, 
and myself. Mm -hmm. So the choice and the flexibility to be able to sort of upshift and downshift from what works, intentionality is back to leadership, leadership to enable that choice to be able to work and to be able to feel safe in making those decisions and to know that we're still being, you know, driving the right outcomes. I nearly used the bad P word there. It's not about being productive, but mm -hmm. driving to the right outcomes. That's how you make this sort of new world of work work. Love that. What great advice for organizations. It's, I had Bruce Daisley on the podcast in season one and Bruce worked, you know, CEO of Twitter and he's a really interesting guy to talk to. And he talked about how, you know, he, he you don't want to be a 19th century mill owner where you have to walk out and you see that everyone is out there, you know, working away. And if they're not all out in front of you, they're not working. It's such a, silly, limited way to look at your great asset, which is your people. And yet, unfortunately, there are still many that either it's driven by system, by process, yes. by metrics, or by what worked for me, mm. yes. which is probably one of the biggest limiters <laughs> yes. um, of the lack of um, diverse thinking into this conversation that sort of still ground the conversation almost in what feels like yesteryear. But make no mistake, if you don't lean into this conversation for what's right to your organization, the choice around where people work and with this, these, you know, we haven't said the great resignation once or the great no. movement or the great realignment or the great optimization or the great offshoring or whatever great <laughs> moment yes. we want to move into. We haven't mentioned that until I just did now, but make no mistake that the competitive landscape is all about offering people choice yeah. and people will vote with their feet and don't wait for it to become your crisis before you start to lean into actually this is part of what modern work now looks like where possible not for all organizations Absolutely. it's very different not, in exactly. different industries i might touch on that point is when we talk about hybrid hybrid is one element of a whole raft of flexibility mm -hmm. where all we're talking here is flexibility in work and we were heading towards the direction of increased flexibility pre-pandemic it's just that the pandemic you know, slingshotted it and made the conversation largely around hybrid. What we're talking about really is flexibility and choice. And sometimes it can't be afforded, but there is always flexibility and choices in every single role that can be afforded. It's just about leaning into that and understanding what that looks like for your job, your organisation, your industry, etc. And yes, it went really quickly and that's hard for some leaders to understand and to, and to move into this reality when they've built their entire careers on something that looks very different. And every workforce is different and demographics and people's personal circumstances and preferences actually make a huge difference in what that looks like and what people are wanting. You know, we know that women are more likely to be working from home if they're knowledge-based workers. So we don't want them to be, you know, affected disproportionately by not being present in the office if that's how decisions on careers and promotions can be made. Yeah. So understanding what that workforce looks like when you're thinking about your hybrid strategy is really, really important. You both made great points there. You know, we just went through the world's biggest experiment um, and showed that things are possible and we can yes. actually achieve what was previously seen as impossible or um, would take five to 10 years done overnight and mm -hmm. seen the shift. If you can get the right conditions 
amazing things can happen. It goes all the way back to almost, as I said before, around unleashing the organizational intelligence and knowledge to recreate its own system without going, yeah, but within all of the existing constraints. Because if you're trying to reimagine within all of the existing constraints, you're only going to come to all the same answers. But if we devolve everything up the chain mm -hmm. to the leaders making the big decisions that are going to change us, we'll never get anywhere. It needs leaders that are empowered to want mm -hmm. to try and change, to drive change, to drive micro change. Because I guarantee if you'd start to do something and it works and there's an efficacy around it and an emotion around it mm -hmm. and a noise around it, others will go, I want a bit of that. If we I could agree. light a thousand fires in a thousand leaders in every organization to want to change things, that's how you can drive systemic change without trying to define the single system of the single process that's going to, you know, top down. It's a lot easier. I to love that out. about lighting the fires because it's interesting. We, we have an episode coming up this series about energy. We um, getting a lot of sense that energy levels are low in a lot of organizations. Mm. So I'm going to have an episode about energy because I think energy is low. Yeah. And how, how do you use science or behavioral science think about how do you bring energy back? And similar to your point, um, Lawrence, how do you light a fire in people to go, right, let's do this. I think it's like, give them the psychological safety, whatever you want to say, the freedom to do it and come up with new approaches. Caitlin? And I think as well as that, sometimes it's very powerful to say, we need to stop doing this. Yes. We've got 5,000 things on. If we want energy, if we want change, if we want innovation, sometimes we need to look at our laundry list create, and we need to space. cut it and I we need agree. to create the space. So, we, you know, we can't have these environments and this energy when we have 50 million things going on and, and people don't have the capacity for that and we can't expect that if they've got all of these things. It's even like saying that leaders are responsible for, you know, mental health and resourcing and innovation and creativity and technology and things, sometimes we just have to say, actually, you're only responsible for these three things and we want you to, you know, do them incredibly and we want you to do them really well and we're going to give this to someone else or we're going to yes. put it off because it's not as important. And looking at that really critically is really powerful. I agree. I think Telstra actually have kind of looked at a different model around leadership with almost like the production leader versus the people leader. Well, I want to dig more into it. I've heard lots about it, but similar to your point, um, Caitlin, I think really nailing what are the three things you need to do. And you absolutely both so rightly put it right. Fire in the leaders, but also what can you stop doing? Talking about the practical things, I heard of, and I've stolen this into, into our team as well, but a couple of organizations started to have flexibility charters, oh. which is effectively the simplest thing that you can do on a fortnightly basis to actually have the question and ask the question of your immediate team, what do you need in the next two weeks for you? Because if we only follow the, we come in on Mondays and on Tuesdays, we have this meeting and it's this set agenda, we've not taken into account all of the things and the flexibility in this conversation. So the flexibility charter is effectively a means to have a conversation Love on a it. regular basis with those in and around you to say, we shouldn't just default to the calendar, that the calendar rules and runs our lives and the meetings that are in therefore are set in stone and Tuesdays are our day for to do this, it can change. And we're in control of that. And I found that really empowering as a really simple free thing I'm to your steal, start, stop, continue I'm element. I'm stealing that one too. Okay. The flexibility charter. I'm on it. I'm on it. I love that one. I've had a few people come to me and say, hey, you know what? I really love the company I'm working with and I don't want to leave, but they want me to come into the office four days a week. How can I influence this? Now, I don't know if you've had anyone come to you 
with that type of question. Would you have any suggestion? Caitlin is nodding. She has a suggestion. Any suggestion on how they might influence maybe without authority on on something like that? Again, I think it's one of those things that uh, informal leaders in organisations can take this and have a team conversation. Again, this is another, not a framework, but another frame of reference that we like to say with hybrid is it's about more than just individual preferences. Individual preferences are important and we know what a difference it makes when we lean into that. But this is about not only the individual, but also the team and the organization. So, you know, whether you're customer facing or you've got stakeholders or you've got certain outcomes that you need to make, when we're thinking about hybrid, it's a combination. It's a Venn diagram of those three elements. So, yes, I might have personal preferences and so may you and, you know, so may the rest of our team. So, can we come together as individuals and as a team thinking about the outcomes that we need to create and can we think about how we work and can we try different things? And so, how can we think about those things? So, yes, I might not want to come into the office five days a week, but you might. So, Mm -hmm. how can we come together and put all of our, you know, our laundry list of personal requirements on the table as well as what we need to do and how can we work this out as a team and try and push flexibility and how can we create the case that we can get the outcomes that we need to achieve by doing things differently as well. I love the way you've put that. Are you an expert in giving brain-friendly feedback or brain-friendly <laughs> suggestions? Because even I'm like, wow, that's a great way to position it, right? I, I think it's so true, bringing people together and understanding that everyone's going to have a different perspective and trying to work it out as a group together and trying to all come up with a way that that works. It may not be perfect, mm. but at least try. Anything to add to that, Lawrence? I, I think um, back to, as I said before, intention intentionality of that conversation but intentionality of moments yeah so intentionally designing that if we're all going to be in on this day what are we doing with that time to value the time that we're putting into commuting in coming in giving up our time yes Earn that commute. Earn the commute. Yes. My favorite. I've heard one of you my, said that I have, a few I have, times. And I will. I will quote because she will go mad at me if I do not quote the wonderful Natalie Slessor. Um, Natalie, you've been quoted. You have been quoted. Good job. You heard it here. Yeah. Um, but earn the commute. Get is, her picture up there on the screen. Is is that is that <laughs> element of. You know, why am I investing my time to come in? The worst thing I see is, you know, people in, in the office on headphones, oh. on screen, on, on, <laughs> exactly. on, on meeting after meeting after meeting and going, why did I come now? For some, they want us to come in to be around and that's absolutely, absolutely fine. Yeah. But I want to be asked or told to your point of told to come in to then put my cans on to then sit there doing. So I, I want to come in with a purpose. Absolutely. Not every single day, but I want that intentionality of saying, if we're going to come in as a team, we're going to respect the time and that commitment. What do we want to achieve? What do we want to drive? I'd love to change the essence of coming out of our calendars, being run by love meetings yeah. into being run by outcomes by intentionally thinking about why we're coming together. And the question that I love there, which sums that up is, how do we come together with intentionality so that we can work better when we're apart? Totally. Mm. Oh, great. God, you guys have got the <laughs> phrases going here today. We're going to be quoting you guys. 
they are really great points. Earning the commute, I love that. I think really thinking about why are we coming together? What's the reason? What are the outcomes we're trying to drive? Really great points. I was talking to someone else about this. Instead of putting on your out of office nowadays, you should be putting on your in the office and kind of going, you know, I'm in the office today. Pop by. Let's have a chat. Let's work on that project that we were going to do over Zoom. Let's do it together. I'm sitting at this seat. You know, I love that concept of in the office. And I think sometimes we need to step out of our own shoes again and and understand, have a bit of empathy for other people. And because one example is if you're a new starter in an organization, oh yes, forming strong and meaningful networks and relationships in a virtual space is very, very difficult. And that needs to be done with intentionality. And so, I think for us who are long timers in organisations, when we see new people, how can we, you know, help them and how can we, and choosing again those moments. You know, I saw on a chat a couple of weeks ago, someone had, a new starter had said, I'm new and I'm coming in next Tuesday. Does anyone want to come into the office next Tuesday so that, you know, I can meet you and we can, you know, have a coffee and I can understand what you do and how we relate. Mm. And so there's moments like that where it's not only important for you, but important for other people to think about that intentionality. I love that, Kate. And I'm a big fan of Dan and Chip Heath, and they talk a lot about the power of moments. I love their book. And I think you've made a great point there about, you know, how do you create those moments for new people to feel part? Part of the team. So I, I love that. In terms of modern work, future of work, to finish that conversation off, I want to come back to your earlier point about horizons. I haven't forgotten what you said there, Lawrence. What do you think is the kind of next horizon or, or from a horizons perspective, what's your kind of immediate thoughts? Wow. I've, um, uh, I've got him with that one. You have. Uh, only because it's it's like, which one do you go into, right? Yeah. So just because we were on the conversation, I do think the workplace, I do think yeah. if you go into a broader horizon and re- that question around reimagining, where are we going to see the biggest change and fundamental change and some boldness of thinking will be recasting what is the purpose of these physical spaces mm-hmm. and what do we see as different? It'll be the bold individual that removes all the desks and turns the spaces into the communal, social, collaborative, problem-solving space. That I thought you were going to say a dance floor. A dan- <laughs> Sorry. With the, purpose, with the ability to have a dance floor, and yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit yeah. about that later with something that we ran recently, that changes the purpose and the essence yes. of, of why we come in, which isn't necessarily just to sit at the desk and do the things that we've always done. To that industrial revolution, sort of like mm. knocking things through, that nine to five bums on seats, that's the model that we all grew grew up in the 19th century century mill owner right so Mm. i think if you ask what is one of the biggest reimagined opportunities it is it is the purpose of the office i could not agree more and i'm not just saying that i agree i think that's the big one katen would you add anything to that i agree and i think for a number of reasons as well and i think it will look different because a number of trends impact on that. So if we're thinking about ESG, workplaces and organizations are thinking about this and how they can think about their offices with that ESG lens and how they can yeah. make their offices more friendly for that environment. Also, when we think about the cost of living on the individual, the cost of yes. living skyrocketed for people who are working from home all the time as well. And I know that some people are choosing to go back, you yeah. know, into their offices for things like that as well. 
And you've also got different drivers for people to use spaces as well. And, you know, we've got to think about the mental health and wellbeing challenges and of people feeling isolated and lonely yes. when they're working from home, which can happen. Which I think is not even just young people. You, I've no. seen people in their 50s, 60s go, I really hate being at home all day with the cat. <laughs> yes. you know? So we, we very much say that the office isn't dead, but yeah. it will look different yeah. and it needs to look different because we're using the space differently. So I agree with Lawrence that that is, is a big one, um, that we really look forward to seeing how that can you know, really um, re-energise those spaces and how we can use them to the full effect so that we can make the most of our optimised work situations. Love it. Now, second last question. We are all about being better at work. What do you think is the smallest change, I'll come to you, Caitlin, that someone could do to have a better day at work tomorrow? I mean, you can link it to future work or whatever, <laughs> but what, what do you think? I can see Lawrence thinking away. He's glad I didn't ask him first. So I sorry, think, Caitlin. Yeah, and my, my answer is definitely unscripted. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's it's thinking about do I have purpose in what I'm doing? Mm. You know, do I align with what I'm doing? And mm. and can I do anything differently to find that purpose and alignment? If it's not there, can I lean into that? And if it really isn't there, do I need to think about making a change? But it's it's it is again going back to that point around intentionality. It is taking the reins on, you know, taking your own control over your, you know, your work lives mm. to to a degree because we all have the ability to shape and influence what they look like and you know, we all need to work, but we can influence what that looks like and our attitude towards that as well. So, can you really think about it and think what can I do to make that different? if it's not there for me already. Amazing. I think you, you have a great approach, Caitlin. I have to say, I, I've heard you before, but just hearing you in person is so great. It's as well, like you're saying, find your purpose. And if you're not aligned on the purpose, you may not be happy, but also look, have a bit of self-reflection, which I think is such great advice for people. Fantastic. And what about you, Lawrence? Um, are you going to be able to give as good an answer as that? Because no. I'm taken aback by that answer. Um, <laughs> no, that's usually, yeah. you know, that's usually, that's, what, that's why Caitlin's here. She's the smart you one. Jeez, I Caitlin, you've like knocked us over with some of these answers. Yeah, what about you? My, mine's going to be from a slightly different angle. And um, I would say be disruptive. Mm. Do something disruptive. Now, that can be small disruption by having a conversation with somebody that you've never spoken to before at a yeah. practical level. That will be disruptive for you because it breaks your habits or your patterns. Mm. And I think that's the essence of if we just stay within our own patterns and habitual ways of working, and yet we expect and want everything to change and they're just not listening, but I've not done anything different. Be in control of that. The disruptive nature and to your, you know, if, if we, to the lighting, several thousand fires to the mm -hmm. people in listening to this to ask the why question, have a different conversation with a different person, be willing to be a reverse mentor to somebody that didn't even know they wanted any mentoring. Find that way to be a little bit disruptive. I don't mean go in and rip I, everything up yes, and clear yes. the desks out and go, yeah. that's it, we're done. Yeah. But find those micro ways to, to be a little bit different than you were before. Seriously, two Great piece of advice. I really like that as well. And, you know, I think when you're in your comfort zone, you're not learning anything. So I, I get what you're saying. It's not about going in, breaking things down. It's actually changing something 
tomorrow uh, from what I'm doing today, having a conversation, even if it is having a coffee with someone that you wouldn't normally have. Even I find with doing this podcast, it was a little disruptive because I was like, oh, I could do that. Why not? And I've it's just amazing. I've learned so much, met amazing people like you guys and lots of our guests. It's it's great. I love that advice. I encourage everyone to do something like that. Do something disruptive. Love that. Now, final question. We ask every guest what, and we've gotten some crazy answers, haven't we? Darcy, we asked people, what's the best advice you ever got that made you better at work? And some of the answers we've got were Bruce Daisy said someone in Scotland told him, remember, Bruce, it's all a load of old bollocks. So don't get too stressed about work. Uh, Don't get stressed about work. I'll start with you this time, Lawrence, so that Caitlin gets a moment to think, what was the best advice you've ever received that you think has made you better at work, life, whatever? I can still hear it and I can picture the person telling me, stop taking yourself so seriously. Ah. Um, And it was that, you know, young in career and you're trying to be impressive and you're trying to achieve Mm. certain things and conforming and yet holding on so much that the visceral nature of that takes over. And I remember being told that and I remember being told that different times of career and telling myself that to just let go a little bit. And mm. to be in flow is a far easier state to be in than trying to to be something and meet an expectation that whoever's voiced that expectation yes. is setting for you. Insert name here. Yeah. Um, don't take yourself so seriously. And it goes to that friendship piece. It goes to that being piece. It goes to that allowing yourself to to see differently what's around you and different opportunities present. That's really lovely. And, and thank you for being vulnerable to share that because sometimes you don't want to share that, oh, someone told me I'm too tense. and too. I love that. Really great, really great uh, advice. Caitlin, what was the best oh, advice you ever got? Well, and I can remember this too. And it was my dad that gave me this advice. And, you know, it was when we, I was having conversations I was 24. It was when I was, you know, deciding whether I'd go off and be a snowboard instructor or or not. And and I said... So this was last year. Yeah, exactly. So, so recent. (laughs) And, you know, I said, you know, will it matter? Like, will it matter to my career? And well, the first thing he said was when I was your age, I just wanted to surf around the world. So I definitely (laughs) reckon you should do it. And then the second thing he said was, he said, you know, he never had a I said, you know, what about the career path? And this goes back mm. to my earlier point. He said, I never had a career path. And and he said, I just said yes to opportunities when they came across. Fantastic. And that actually is what I've done now is I never thought I'd end up here. I never planned to be here. But I just said yes when things came you know, my way and and they were about people. And I just said yes and I've ended up here, which has been great. But I think that's my advice is don't think that you have to have all the answers. You know, even now I don't I definitely don't think I have all the answers and nor do I know where I will end up in, you know, five or ten years time because the environment will change, I'll change. And so I just want to say yes to good opportunities when they come and they align with my purpose and what I want to be doing. How exciting I mean, and that's exciting, isn't it, you know, to know mm. where, what could be around the corner. I, I have a very similar, you know, you never know what it could lead to. And actually, both of your kind of advice kind of have a similar. Well, actually, I'm thinking back to what you said, Lawrence, actually, the earlier question about disrupt yourself a little bit. 
and you're saying yes, it's kind of, you know, similar, right? You know, get yourself out of your comfort zone. Say yes. Try new things. I think that's fantastic advice. You've got two podcast guests for the first time. <laughs> exactly. two po- And I was sweating this morning, I tell you. Um, I was going, oh, no, this is a very different format today, but it's been fantastic. I'm really glad I challenged myself with that. You've done well. Yeah. Listen, thank you both very much. It's been fantastic. I'm so glad you uh, agreed to come on the podcast. And I've been following you both for a while and I'm going to continue to follow you because you're sharing some great content. For more information on Lawrence and Caitlin, you can check out their LinkedIn. I can I follow them on there. And also go to pwc.com.au slash future of work, as there are some great resources and free reports there uh, that you can access as well. Thank you so much, Caitlin and Lawrence, and we hope we get you back again at some point in the future. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Thank you. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hello, Annette. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. So great to have you back. How are you? I'm really good, Kahal. So good to be here. Let's take this offline. How fantastic were Lawrence and Caitlin from PwC? There was so much in that conversation. I am dreading how you got to three takeaways in it because I re-listened to it this morning. I'm like, oh my God, there's so many great insights. But I know you are the queen of digesting these things. So what did you have as your three takeaways? Over to you. The first two relate to skills. The first one about skills is that skills expire and that something that we can easily do is have a lifelong learning plan. And also keep in mind with that, that when it comes to skilling, it's not just the what and being good at your job and getting things done, but it's remaining relevant on the how. So have a plan, be really brutal with yourself about how current and relevant are your skills and develop that plan. At the second insight from the conversation, and I'm working my way through this big report now, was a comment from Lawrence, and that was around soft skills are the difficult skills. And I know we've talked about this a lot. Lawrence pointed us to the World Economic Forum and their future of jobs reporting series and their their report of October 2020 calls out that eight of the top 10 skills we need for the future of work are soft skills. They're not your technical skills. They're things like creativity, originality and initiative, active learning and learning strategies, resilience, stress tolerance and flexibility. And there's also the work there from Bruce Daisley around moving our thinking from resilience, being reactive into thinking about building fortitude. So that was, I think that's a really powerful insight. So when you're doing that review and looking at your own skills and what your lifelong learning plan is, to have that awareness of thinking about your soft skills. I love that, Annette. And it's an amazing takeaway. I'm really glad you called that out as one. It was one of mine as well. I loved that he called them enabling skills. And he said they're actually the hardest ones. He also referenced them as human skills. I think that we're going to talk more about that in our episode with Marianne O'Brien. And there's also been great insights there from Tasha Uric as well, and that when it comes to your soft skills, to do that self-assessment, you really need to move into developing your self-awareness. Kahal, if I then move on to my third insight, and this was a really 
practical one from Caitlin. It is conversation that people in workplaces are having every day and that's where are we going with hybrid? And I know Caitlin had another way of describing that as well. It's more around flexibility. That's what people are looking for. And Caitlin's really practical advice was step out of the I and the me and into looking at this from what works for the individual and the team and the organization and case by case, how can we work it out as a team and get the outcome that we all need? And I thought that was a really practical framework around thinking flexibly about flexible working. And I heard a recent story of someone who, one of their top performers in COVID had moved out to regional town and did not want to come in even three days a week to the office. The two-hour commute each way, four hours a day was an absolute no-no. And this leader could not move beyond that, say it was three days a week or nothing. And one of her top performers said, well, it's going to be, have to be nothing. So it's, you know, it comes down to that, that insight around earn the commute. And yeah, I love um, this that. is not just for organizations and mandating and guiding, but it's also leaders as there are going to be exceptions. So how could that have worked out differently? There'd been a, a different framing an approach to that conversation around what's the outcome that we all need and let's try and find something that works for all. Really great, Annette. I really liked your three takeaways and that final one as well from Caitlin around flexibility was a really great one. It reminded me of what Lawrence also talked about, this flexibility charter that you can have within your team, which I really loved that, which he said was was really a means to have a conversation on what flex you might need in the next two weeks. As a team going, not all these meetings are set in stone. If Annette needs to do something next Tuesday with her daughter and she needs the afternoon off, but there's five meetings that are in there. Could they be moved to earlier in the week or later in the week? And as a team, having that charter and that, I suppose, space that you can come to and go, here's what's coming up in my life over the next few weeks. How can we come together to uh, give us the flex? It's about driving outcomes as opposed to having FaceTime just for the sake of it. And then, of course, giving people that flex that they may need in their lives. Annette, they were really three fantastic takeaways. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. The only thing I was going to add was I really liked the conversation that Lawrence talked about lighting a thousand fires and a thousand leaders. I just thought that was so beautifully put that often when you want to make change, you need to light fires and get leaders excited because, you know, my view is that unless you change the leadership level and get the leaders excited, it's very hard to make change within big organizations. That's why I've always been a big fan of leadership programs. I love that fire analogy as well, Kahal. And there's something also about the love that we as humans have around actually sitting around a fire, sitting around a campfire yeah. and talking, sharing and learning as well. So I saw that the starting the fire to excite, but there's also starting the fire to come together and talk and share and get to know each other. Yeah, I love that. I think it's great. And the only other final thing I'd say is I liked how Lawrence and the team try to frame 
kind of future of work or modern work under those four elements of the type of work we do, the type of workers we need, where and how people access work, the spaces, which is the hybrid one, and then the experience of work that binds it all together. I thought that was really great and something for anyone in a leadership role to think about those four elements as you think about your year ahead with your team. But a fantastic interview with Lawrence and Caitlin. They were so great fun in it. I don't know if you got that from the interview. Really great fun, great insights. And I think you made a great point to me recently where you said, you know, a lot of our listeners may not get access sometimes to that kind of thinking from one of the large global consultancy firms. Kahal, I think that the conversation that you had and being able to share this thinking that these conversations are held at a board table or senior executive level and informing corporate strategy. What that conversation did was really turn some of those insights into what we can all do as individuals for ourselves, for our families, for our teams and how we contribute into a workplace. And, and also the, the big question I, I like linked to that was what is the role of the office in the future and who's going to be the brave leaders, brave companies who might take all the desks out and just change what we're using that space for and certainly not for everyone to be commuting in and then spending all day on a Zoom or a, yes, or a exactly. team, etc. Well, we hope you all enjoyed listening to Lawrence and Caitlin as much as we did. It's time for this episode's question. It is from Melanie. Dear Annette and Kahal, I work in a financial services organization. Sadly, the culture is not the best. It feels really broken. Every day feels challenging and political. There's a never ending flow of projects and everything needs to be done yesterday. Ooh. I think I know that kind of a environment, Annette. That can be very challenging. I am in a role where I could influence senior leadership. And I think in our division, at least, we need to have a review of our culture and come up with an approach to change our ways of working. What would be your advice here? Thank you, Melanie. Annette, what do you think of Melanie's question is kind of a different question than we normally get. It's probably more back into the kind of work culture, more of our normal, I suppose, when we're in corporate jobs question. What are your thoughts on Melanie's question? My thoughts for Melanie are really break down into three waves. The first way to look at this is through the lens of where Melanie is at herself. So is she feeling refreshed, ready to go, confident and also have that mindset around Melanie can control her response to the situation and being realistic about what she can influence going in. So being ambitious, but also realistic. I think one of the tools she could bring to the leadership might be around the stop, start, continue in terms of what the current workload is in their team. I think also listening into our Bruce Daisley episode with Bruce's advice on great cultures 
and how making many small shifts like using a stop start continue can create momentum there so using a few of those ideas from Bruce and reading his three books I think would help Melanie there and those small shifts around the power of humor to create togetherness and bonding and collective safety so being open you know to bringing some humor to this and I think then the last thing there is around maybe that conversation around self-awareness in the leaders in the organization, the leaders of the teams that Melanie is working for, and some of the practical tools that Tasha Urich and Marianne O'Brien around our guests bring to some of the challenges that Melanie is seeing in her organization. So that could be another program that Melanie could suggest. What do you think of those ideas, Kahal? I know there was a lot in that list. As you know, I love an old stop, start, continue. I love your link there to maybe getting some of the leaders, etc., to think about self-awareness and the impact they might be having on others. When I look at the question, I probably, because I've been involved a lot in leadership programs or cultural transformational programs, I kind of went to that angle maybe quicker than I should have, because I liked your approach of giving her some advice to think about herself and where she's at as well. I look at it from the angle of, do they need some kind of culture change program or something to focus on the leadership level? Like, you know, if we think about the episode we just had, lighting a thousand fires and a thousand leaders, it might really help change the culture here. I think the point that you've raised there about the Stop, Start, Continue, that could really help with the ever-ending project that are coming down the line, which is kind of like, you need to do something to stop that. So I agree doing something like that. But the other part of our question, she said was that it's political. The culture is not nice. I'm getting the sense not a nice place to work. So how can she influence the leadership team to think about, should we do something with our leadership level to build a learning experience that is going to help I suppose, change the ways of working for those leaders, which then subsequently changes the ways of working for the staff. And I always think these learning experiences, you want to make them practical, sticky and joyful, right? That was always kind of what personally I always felt, right? You want to make it a practical leadership course. You want to make it sticky because you want to sustain it because you invest a lot in this. And then joyful, because if you can get people happy and involved and happy to be part of it, it can make a huge difference. I think for Melanie, I agree, maybe it's a two-pronged approach. It's like, what's now and what's next? Now, I think she should do, look at herself, make sure she's in a good space, as you mentioned in it. Maybe as well, the stop, start, continue of the projects and go, how can she bring the leadership team together or influence them to do a stop, start, continue of all of the stuff that's coming down the line for her and her teams and the people within the division. And then maybe the next thing to do is go, how can we do a little bit of a culture assessment? There's some really easy ways to do a temperature check on how everyone else is feeling about the culture. It's a great way 
I think, of going, well, what do we want to improve? And if you find that the engagement scores are low, that's often linked to the leadership level, I personally think, right? You know, and then that might be some data that she can use to influence the leadership team to go, right, why don't we do something to get people excited here about a new way of doing things or a new way of working? The big thing then, of course, is creating the content around that. And what is it that you want out of your new ways of working, right? Is it you want them to be customer focused or you want to make sure the leaders are more advanced in their critical thinking, whatever it is. But that's something she could work on with the leadership team. And it might be driven by what's coming out of the engagement scores as well. I know this can be an overwhelming piece of work to do, but it's so valuable in it. If you have a bad culture, having a culture assessment, creating learning program for your leadership level that is practical, sticky and joyful, it's just the change that can happen. I have seen it. I've seen it at Westpac where some amazing programs were developed and we didn't even call them programs. We said they were ways of working because we were like, we don't want them to be programs. We want them to continue on. And it's okay. from now on, this is the way we're going to work. We're going to teach our leaders. They're going to then work with their teams in a different way. We got huge benefit from it. I'm on my soapbox here about ways of working and, and leadership programs in it. Pull me back down. Tell me your thoughts. I feel that Melanie is going to love your conversation with Marianne O'Brien, where she talks about a leadership team she came into work with on their culture. It was very dysfunctional. And eight years later, that team is still together and doing very, very well. And that insight around to become better people, we need to become better communicators. We need to become better people. And some of the themes in this question from Melanie about the projects and the demands, it seems like there's a communication issue in there around prioritization and shared agreement and what's coming and etc. And the other thing, Kahal, just quickly, I'd love to recommend for Melanie a couple of books, (laughs) Siobhan McHale's The Insider's Guide to Culture Change, so that as Melanie moves into the space, you know, she's building out her knowledge. It's a great one of success stories and case studies on culture change. And then this one that I love because I think the agility that it sounds like there needs to be more agility um, in the to help cope with the demands that the teams are seeing with Melanie in this book, Sooner Safer Happier. Anti-patterns and patterns for business agility. There's a you know, really case study based, research based tools for transformational leadership in terms of how the work is done and the culture to support agility. That's really good in it. I love those two books you've recommended there. We hope, Melanie, that those help you. I know we gave you a lot there. And of course, we're happy to um, chat with you offline as well. It's a tough spot to be in. Hold your nerve. And these kind of things can be exciting as well. To actually influence culture change is such an amazing thing to be part of. So. I say go for it, Melanie. Try and uh, can be very exciting. Get your teams working even better than they are and uh, let us know how it goes or if we can help in any way at all. Thank you so much, Annette, for that. That is it for this week. We are on the road to recovery a little bit here. We, we've had colds and COVIDs and everything. So we hope that any of you listening are feeling good. We're getting better, aren't we, Annette? 
We are, we are girls. We're on the road to recovery. But thank you so much, Annette, for joining us this episode. And of course, you'll be back again soon to help us with Let's Take This Offline. Looking forward to it, Kahal. Thank you and thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.